Blog Talk Radio. Diamondbacks and the Philadelphia Phillies. Everybody wrote the Phillies in. The Diamondbacks out. And Roy Cummings, your thoughts? Well, uh, from the very beginning of the season, guys, the Arizona Diamondbacks have uh, just opened eyes all across baseball. Um, You know, they've got some some young players that are just absolutely nothing short of dynamic. Uh, Corbin Carroll, I'm not surprised they're there. I'm really not. Um, look, if you can knock off the Dodgers, 
you can knock off anybody, So, um, which they did. So you start there, and, uh, you know, if the bats go a little bit cold, as the Phillies did, their biggest bats uh, outside of Schwarber, um, you know, late in the series, you're going to have some issues. Uh, look, there's no doubt that Philly's got a big edge in terms of uh, uh, home field advantage. They had a big home field advantage, but it just wasn't enough for them. Um, you know, as I said, Arizona – that's a good young baseball team with some, you know, some veteran savvy, uh, you know, guys like, uh, Evan Longoria, Merrill Kelly, they've been there uh, Christian Walker, um, you know, guys who kind of, who've been there, done it a little bit, uh, or really just waiting for their opportunity. And then the, you know, the pitching was solid. Um, you know, I'm, I was surprised that they went to, uh, the rookie Brandon fought before, uh, you know, for the biggest game of the year, um, but that's how much confidence they have in that kid. So they've got a lot of confidence in those kids. And, um, you know, Texas has got to watch out. Uh, Texas very streaky team. And with a couple of days off, you know, to who knows? If, I mean, they were rolling pretty well. And uh, right now Arizona is clearly the one rolling. So we'll see how it goes. But I'm um, excited for the series. Should be a good one. I don't think Philly has anything to be uh, upset about. Um, Trey Turner, you know, obviously that got a little bit cold. Same with uh, Castellanos, same with Harper, uh, even Real Muto a little bit. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, that's why, that's why, that's why they play the games. We got game seven in both series. That was special. And uh, you know what? Let's enjoy this. Uh, young team on the rise. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe arrive a little bit earlier than people thought in Arizona. Roger, uh, you're exactly right. What uh, Roy just said, Castellanos went cold. He went over his last 22, 11 strikeouts. And uh, that's, that's not going to help a team win very well. And, of course, the, the Phillies' offense just went blank in the last two games. They really didn't hit very many balls very hard. You were right there. You are in Philadelphia. You saw the advantage of playing at Citizens Bank Park. But it did not help the Philadelphia Phillies during the course of Game 6 and Game 7. No, it sure didn't. And then uh, Castellanos, uh, Roy, said on the post game last night, I know Don saw it, that uh, he, uh, he felt the difference as soon as he got to Arizona. I mean, everything uh, went away. I mean, I, that's hard to believe, but that, that was his uh, assessment. But I'll tell you, you're right about Arizona. And there was a lot of concern in Philadelphia by many that they were the the uh, Phillies uh, would do better against the Braves than they would against Arizona. Now this is when they were playing in the division series. Well, they were right. Okay, the uh, Diamondbacks are a force to be uh, uh, of uh, to be reckoned with in the future now and in the future. But I thought it was so funny that like a number of people were concerned about the Diamondbacks. And they figured, you know, they would lose to the Dodgers. And uh, but once they got the Phillies got by the Braves, it was, uh, you know, an automatic. They were going to go to the World Series. Well, you know what? It didn't work that way. And congratulations to the Diamondbacks. They deserve everything they achieved. Yeah, and as Roy said, I'll tell you, Carroll looks like he's going to be a young star. I mean, he had went three for three with a walk. I mean, he uh, he did everything possible in this last couple of games, and especially in Game Seven, uh, drove in the important runs, and so uh, they have some young players that are really going to be looked to in the next few years as the superstars in the National League. Uh, Roy, how about the other side? What do you think about the American League? Well, um, 
you know, I'm, 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 I'm happy to see Texas in. Uh, they have been trying for years, in essence, to buy a pennant. Um, and it finally worked for them. Uh, you know, obviously they, uh, they took a different approach. I mean, but I, I, you also got to like the fact that, you know, it, it wasn't just free agents. You know, they didn't just go out and get Corey Seager or Marcus Semien. Uh, you know, they made some, some pretty good trades, too. You know, they picked up Adelise Garcia from the Cardinals organization when, for whatever reason, the Cardinals decided to get rid of him and uh, Randy Arozarena. Uh, that'd be a pretty darn good outfielder, two-thirds of one in uh, St. Louis. But, um, you know, they went out and made some pretty good trades and picked up some guys off, kind of off the scrap heap a little bit that other people didn't want. They also developed a couple of plays, players, uh, the young the young third baseman, young is one of those guys you pick up Nate Lowe from the Rays, uh, you know, in free agency. So uh, I, I like what they did. And Jonah Heim is a guy who's, um, you know, there's a budding star there as well. Pitching staff, um, a little suspect. But uh, you know what? They found a closer here uh, at the end in LeClerc. And, uh, you know, if you got Will Smith in a setup role, which is how he should be against lefties, uh, and LeClerc can finish it off for you, well, that makes that, that bullpen a lot better. And that's what we saw against Arizona. That bullpen was a bit of an issue, uh, obviously, going down into down the stretch and into the playoffs. There was concern about that, that Rangers bullpen. But uh, right now, you know, if you can get four or five innings out of, uh, out of your starter, uh, the bullpen looks a lot better right now. And, um, and I think that bodes well for them. And then, of course, you know, Bruce Boshi is just as, uh, as good a manager as, as there's ever been in baseball, no doubt about it. Uh, he's been there with the, with the veteran teams, young teams, been there several times. And uh, just really knows how to how to you know keep everybody focused on on the task at hand and and not overwhelming yourself with uh, oh it's the World Series or oh we're you know we're, we're playing for the pennant. Um, he just has a way of calming everyone and keeping them focused on uh, on, on their game alone and and their next at bat and their next uh, you know inning to pitch and everything else. And I, I think that carries a lot of weight. It really does. It's it's one of the reasons I think the you know, the Astros at the same time were able to continue uh, despite all the turmoil. You know, not, you know, there is the fact that obviously they have a gr- tremendous amount of talent, but I think, I think the same holds true for Dusty Baker. But, you know, those are two managers that just know that don't make the moment too big and just focus on, uh, you know, play it like it, it's another game that's just important a l- with a little bit more importance. And I, I think that plays, uh, that plays uh, a long way come playoff time and it certainly played for the uh for the rangers so i think we're in for a really interesting series with uh with young uh a lot of young talent i mean first first of all there's there's guys out there who you know uh even you know not not the not, not the diehard baseball fans have probably heard of um but at the end of the day you've also got guys who are you know on the rise you know guys like evan carter corbin carroll perdomo uh, there's just a lot of really good young talent, a lot of uh, veteran talent. Guys have been waiting for their opportunity uh, to, to get on this big stage, and they're there now, and uh, makes us to see how it plays out. Well, it's going to be interesting to see whether the two older gentlemen decide to – there was some conversation today about what Dusty's going to do after this year. Uh, I did not hear any closure on whether he was going to retire or whether he was not going to retire. We'll wait and see. Roger, your observations on the American League Championship uh, – Series and the World Series. Well, I'll tell you, as far as the uh, LCS, I mean, you know, when you have both teams only win away games, I mean, that is, like, very unusual. 
And, uh, you know, I thought once the uh, Houston uh, got their first two wins, uh, you know, I felt that, well, it's probably uh, uh, over with. And and I was wrong, you know. And uh, so it was just amazing. I mean, uh, for the, uh, uh, you know, for uh, the, the, the uh, uh, for the, the Dallas uh, to go and win in in Houston and Houston win in Dallas. I mean, how often do you ever see that? I mean, at least usually somebody will get one win, you know, at home. But that it didn't work, and it was very unusual. And I think they have a a lot of talent. I agree with Bob Bruce uh, Bochy. Uh, he, he if he wins this World Series, that's number four, I believe. Correct? That he's won. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and you know, yeah, you, four different Roger, teams. You, you mentioned the uh, yeah, right, Roger. You mentioned the fact that uh, you're a little surprised that you don't win even one at home. Uh, well, the Astros were below 500 at home this year. Uh, during the regular season, so I'm not well, sure what happened there. Yeah, That's so amazing. I'm, I'm a little surprised at that. A little surprised at that, and um, you know, especially in that ballpark, uh, you know, just again, maybe the pitching was just a little bit vulnerable to a, a bit of a home run hitter's park. I don't know, but um, so it wasn't. I wasn't all that surprised to see the Texas beat them. Uh, you know, beat Houston on the road, but. Um, We'll see what happens now. Uh, again, these these are going to be interesting uh, games. Two new venues that we haven't seen, uh, you know, the World Series in yet. So, uh, again, I'm just anxious to see it uh, start up tomorrow night. It's going to be fun. And, by the way, uh, the breaking news on uh, MLB Network is that Dusty Baker has informed the Astros uh, that he is retiring. So, it looks like uh, Dusty's going to bow out, which is uh, it's good for him, and it's great for him, actually, great for him and his family. But uh, it's sad for baseball because, um, in my opinion, he's – He's baseball royalty. He was one of the. He was. He was a star player, and uh, as good a manager as you're going to come across as well. He well, certainly the good is. Thing is he one of the last uh, comment I would make is that uh, just following up on what you said, Roy, uh, when uh, Bruce Bochy was interviewed finally uh, prior to uh, Game Six, and uh, you could see the calmness, uh, the way he addressed Game Six, and the way he uh, addressed what was going to happen not only that night but the following night in game number seven. And uh, you're right. He, uh, he takes everything one by one, one by one, and uh, just has done a marvelous, marvelous job. And I'll tell you, Dusty has been a great manager and a great contribution to baseball, both as a player and as a manager. I had not heard that he had definitely said he was going to retire. I heard it was rumored that he was, but I'm glad to get that information as well. So two great managers went one-to-one, and uh, it, was, it was a great series. And now we get ready for the World Series. So uh, that's that's terrific. Uh, let's switch over now to the National Football League. The Eagles had a big night on Monday night, so they continue to win. Roy, uh, unfortunately, the Bucks uh, dropped one on Sunday, and uh, I thought it was a game they had a chance to win. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a game they had a chance to win. And, uh, you know, I think we're starting to see – uh, the Bucks are trying to. You know, they're, they're they're showing their their true colors here, and they've got some issues. There's no doubt about that. Um, they struggle to run the ball. Still, um, they're struggling to stop the run. They're getting gashed in the run game. That's probably the biggest surprise. I don't think there's a whole lot of surprise at the fact that they're struggling to run. Um, you know, there was a reason a year ago they didn't run the ball very much. Uh, part of that had to do with Tom Brady. Part of it had to do with the, you know, just the design of the offense, but. 
you know, they set out this year to try to run the ball more more often and certainly more effectively, and so far it just hasn't happened. Uh, part of that problem is uh, Rashad White, who just who just does not hit the hole very hard. Um, he's, I, I've yet to see him hit a hole in anger. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of he's like he just he just doesn't have a lot of a lot of you know power behind him when he hits that line. Um, but the line isn't doing much for him either. I'll say that. You know, so we'll see what happens tomorrow. Um, this is a tough game for the Buccaneers. You know, it's a short week, really tough opponent on the road. Um, you, again, I don't know how much more Baker Mayfield can do uh, without a run game, and if the defense can't stop, you know, teams from gashing them in the uh, uh, in the run game themselves, uh, it's going to be a tough road for them. So tomorrow's a big game. It's the kind of game that, you know, sometimes teams like the Bucks step up and and surprise everybody and put it all together and win. So that's a possibility, but there's also a good chance this could end up being something like 34 to seven or 34 to 10 again. So uh, the Bucks got, Bucks got some work to do. And in a short week, I'm not sure they had enough time to get that work done, but uh, we'll see where it takes them. Roger, the Eagles uh, sort of started off slowly uh, on Monday night, but they did get the win. Uh, what scored 31 points in the end? I think it was 31 points. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, if I remember correctly, I think it was 31 points. But they won going away, and uh, so they're in good shape. They have only lost one game halfway through the season, and uh, they're ready to go. Uh, some of your thoughts about uh, what the Philadelphia Eagles uh, are going to do in the future? Well, I'll tell you, they uh, they made a, uh, a pickup. They made it great. They sent uh, Ed, Edmonds uh, to uh, <laughs> Tennessee for a, a starting safety, which they need. And uh, I think that that's going to bolster them. But I'll tell you, their front they, they front four on defense, and they rotate, they're tremendous. That young group, uh, a couple of them are from uh, Georgia, as you know, Carter and uh, Davis. And they are a, they're, they're just a, a crew. And uh, that really did the, the uh, Dolphins in. I mean, you know, they just had not played as good a team as the Eagles are, and it showed. Uh, that Getting that pressure uh, on Tua uh, is the difference in, in a success for uh, Miami and uh, a loss. And I think the Eagles are, I think they're going to continue to improve. I don't think uh, we've had the best uh, play uh, yet of the team. And uh, I, now I think they're the only team with now uh, only has one uh, one loss, isn't that right? I mean, uh, maybe uh, I believe there are two. Uh, I, I believe guess, there are two that only have yeah, one two. loss. Kansas City, I think, is the other one. Yes, they're, um, yeah, they're but, the only but, one in the NFC with one loss. Yeah, yeah, because that's San Francisco, Francisco, Francisco lost loss. again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, you know, I think they, uh, they're uh, they're going to get better, and uh, I think they are uh, the class of the NFC. Roy, your overview, how do you like uh, almost halfway through the season? Uh, surprises or no surprises? Um, you know, to me, no great surprises. Uh, you know, the Bengals have struggled a little bit, but, you know, they've had some issues at quarterback. Uh, Bills started a little slow, but uh, they've caught on fire. Um, I, 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 I continue to be surprised at the, you know, even though they won last week, um, the overall ineptness of the uh, uh, of the Patriots uh, with Bill Belichick, you know, maybe maybe he's finally the answer there. It certainly looked like it last week, 
But uh, I got to say, no, no great surprises. I mean, nobody has really stepped up that I thought, you know, would play better or would play worse. Uh, although, you know what, you got you got to give the Falcons credit. You know, with a with a young quarterback who, uh, you know, taken in the third round of the draft, um, he's playing pretty well, pre- playing pretty darn well, really. And Cordero Patterson Patterson has given him a, a, another option there. Uh, the defense has been solid. Um, I suppose if I'm surprised, maybe that's one of, that's one of the surprises right there is the fact that the Falcons have been uh, – they're legit. I think you got to watch out for them. But, you know, the, the, the struggles by the Cowboys, not surprised. Um, you know, the 49ers came back to earth just a little bit, um, but I still think they're going to be fine. Um, so, to me, no great surprises. I mean, we thought Detroit was going to be a little bit better. They have been. Um, the Eagles, I think, are just kind of, you know – just keeping it steady. You know what? They did, I think they, they realize that it doesn't matter if we win the division. doesn't matter if we, uh, if we get to get a, you know, a buy or the home field advantage. I think they know exactly what they need to do in order to, to uh, win in the playoffs consistently, uh, much like the Chiefs. And um, right now, it, 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 it would be hard to argue if someone said uh, you're going to see a Chiefs-Eagles uh, rematch. Uh, I just think it's quite possible. I was a little surprised at San Francisco. I thought they would play a little bit better the other night, Monday night, than they did. Uh, I did not think they would lose that game, uh, uh, even going into the second half. But uh, even they had their chances coming down the home stretch, they just couldn't get couldn't get it done. Uh, Roger, on the other hand, uh, <clears throat> the Eagles seem to be in open territory now. They're not going to have any trouble winning. I don't think winning their division and being ready for the playoffs. Uh, everybody expected them to win, and I think that's what you talked about. The only surprise to me, or almost, I should say surprise, maybe disappointment. I, I thought Washington would be a little bit more competitive. Uh, they lost a couple of games. They lost again last weekend. Uh, I, I thought they'd be a little bit better this year than they've been. Well, we thought the Giants were going to be better too, Don. And, uh, yeah. you know, they've, they've fallen back. And, and you know, when, and then when you uh, – well, I read it in the post. I guess you saw it too. Uh, about that when you you break down the Giants' season last year, they didn't play the the most uh, the best teams, and uh, so the, their record was maybe a little uh, slanted. Uh, the um, so uh, you know I agree with you. I thought Washington would do better, and I thought the Giants would do better, but uh, the Giants did come through and won on uh, Sunday, so. Uh, you know, who's to say that they don't turn it around? And, of course, uh, the quarterback, uh, the, the uh, that's the kid from uh, Temple. And was he st- playing when you were doing the games on, or was that after? Did he come after? After, after. You're talking about the after. linebacker. No, Number no, seven. the quarterback. No, oh, the okay, quarterback. Yeah. Yes. No, uh, after. PJ. After, Okay. Uh, but the uh, he was a uh, disciple of uh, Matt Rule, I think, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. And Matt finally got a win this weekend too. I was glad to see that for Nebraska. He uh, he's been struggling a little bit uh, since going over to Nebraska. They're hopeful that in the next couple of years that he'll be able to turn that program around and make it uh, really competitive again. Roy, back to you. Uh, the NBA basketball season is underway tonight. The National Hockey League has been underway for a couple of weeks. Uh, your Lightning in Tampa have uh, gotten off to a so-so start. 
your early evaluation. You talked last week about the goaltending, and obviously the best goaltender in the National Hockey League is not going to be available, if at all, this year, certainly not until the playoffs. Your observations. Well, they're hoping to get him back in December, actually. They they think they can get Vasilevsky back sometime in December. I, my guess is probably around January 1st is probably a better option for him. Uh, but you know what? They're coming. Look, last night, uh, while there was a celebration uh, of, of NHL hockey uh, across the uh, across the you know the, the continent, um, it was uh, it was great really because uh, every team played last night, uh, and ESPN made a big deal out of it. Uh, they did kind of a red zone type uh, thing on ESPN two and uh, had a triple header on the main uh, channel. And, uh, you know, so it was a, a bit of a celebration of the game, and it, it came off really well. It had a couple of great overtime finishes and things like that. And, they, you know, they featured, a, you know, some uh, some great rivalries, the Bruins against the Blackhawks with Connor Bedard. So it was really a great celebration. I think ESPN did a great job, and they're doing a great job. ESPN's doing a really good job of covering the NHL this year. Um, you know, I'd like to see a little bit more talk of it on some of the talking head shows, but, you know, none of those guys know anything about hockey anyway, so why am I bothering? But uh, at the end of the day, um, uh, you know, there's been some surprises. Uh, take a look at Columbus. You know, and last night Tampa, Tampa, you know, shut out Carolina, which is a team that a lot of people think could possibly get to the, uh, to the Stanley Cup Finals this year. Um, I think it's possible, but uh, right now they're they're gonna they're gonna end up they could end up battling uh, Carolina or. Uh, Columbus, obviously, certainly New Jersey. Uh, that Eastern Conference is kind of wide open with a lot of teams. And to me, the biggest surprise is, um, and maybe we shouldn't be surprised, is uh, is Edmonton. You know, there's a lot of talk in Canada about Edmonton uh, getting to the Stanley Cup Finals. I don't think they're ready for that. Um, but I also don't think that they're, they're a team that, uh, has, you know, would get off to the start that they've gotten off to. And now Connor McDavid has hurt a little bit, so – that's a team that's got some issues. And, um, you know, in the West, in their division alone, uh, it, it could be tough, you know, because Vegas is, is off to an incredible start, 6-0. and uh, The Bruins, 6-0. and uh, A couple of records being set there for fastest start for a Stanley Cup champion, fastest start for a President's Trophy champion. Um, so, you know, uh, the, the, the best teams uh, remain strong and uh, – some of the best teams that we heard, some of the teams a lot of people thought would be the best, have, uh, have been a little bit weaker. And then we got a couple of surprises. So, you know, it's uh, it's a good season so far. It's, there's a lot of interesting, uh, a lot of interesting happenings going on. Roger, uh, we'll have Tom Lemayne on, who covers the National Hockey League in Philadelphia. But Philadelphia's gotten off to a relatively good start, something they had not done the last couple of years. And so I know Tom will join us in the next week or two to talk about uh, the Philadelphia Flyers, but your thought there. Well, uh, I've seen a number of games on uh, TV. I hope to see it uh, live tomorrow. Uh, but they really uh, look pretty good. They they are de- definitely uh, playing uh, differently and, and much harder than they did in the past. And I think with uh, Tortorella there as the uh, coach uh, in his second year, I think that has an effect and also – uh, with Keith Jones and Danny Briere uh, taking over uh, the hockey operations and general manager's job, they are really out to turn that team around, and I think they're on the right uh, the right track. And Carter Hart has looked really good uh, the uh, in in the games that I've watched, and 
uh, you know, I, I think if they continue to play the way they, they have been, if they can, you know, play that way uh, for the entire season, uh, they could be a, a playoff team this year. But only time will tell. Roy, uh, one of your favorite coaches is coaching the Rangers. He moves around from team to team. But great expectations <laughs> for the Rangers right now. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and and and, and there should be. Look, they've got some some you know absolute star caliber players there. Chris Kreider, uh, Mika Zibanejad, uh, Adam Fox. I mean that, that that's as good. You know, Shesterkin. A lot of people think he could win the Vezina Trophy. Yeah. So Peter Laviolette, uh, look, he's a, he's just a, a darn good head coach. I'm surprised he moves around as much as he does. But um, you know what? Uh, I suppose if you're going to get rid of Gerard Gallant, you know, that's that's a guy you want to go out and get, somebody like that who's been there and done it. Um, and that's a team to watch, no doubt about it. But um, just, you know, again, that whole that whole Metro division, uh, there's there's it's a tough one. You know, New Jersey is as fast a team as there is, as uh, good a young team as there is. Uh, the Flyers, as uh, Roger pointed out, are going to give everybody a game this year. Uh, not surprised with what's happening in Philly, really, because, look, I always thought that it would take a couple of years for John Tortorella to kind of weed out the dead wood and, and get in the people that he wants, uh, the, the, the style of player that he wants, the guy who's going to go out there and, you know, stick his face in front of a, a slap shot and, uh, you know, sacrifice himself for the team. That's what he wants. He wants guys like that who are going to grind in the corner, you know, put their body out there. And uh, now he's got a team full of those guys. They'll get their goals. Um, the goaltending's solid. My only concern about Philly is they're just a little bit thin. Uh, if injuries hit, they, they could have some issues. But, um, but look, I, I think that's a team on the rise, too. And, you know, much like we started this segment, maybe I'll leave it with this, guys. Um, maybe the Flyers could be kind of like the Arizona Diamondbacks of the NHL, a team that uh, surprises everybody and just kind of, kind of comes along and uh, takes out some of the big teams along the way, and then they get to the playoffs, and, you know, who knows what happens there. So uh, Roy, watch a out quick for that. word on Vegas yeah. before you leave. How does Vegas keep doing it? <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> they do it in a number of ways. First of all, that building is a hard building to play in. That fan base is so rabid. They just love that team. And I think that, I think that team feeds off that energy. And then, you know, they built themselves with a bunch of guys who were cast off. And it turns out that, you know, maybe the Ottawa Center should have held on to Mark Stone. Maybe the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers should have held on to Jonathan Marshall. So, uh, you know, maybe some people, you know, like the Blues should have held on to Alex Petrangelo. Uh, you know, there's darn good players up and down that lineup. And I just think that they have figured out what a lot of teams have trouble figuring out. Who's your top six? <laughs> You know, offensively, who's your bottom six? Does everybody accept their role? And then on the defensive core, you know, who are your top three or four? And who who are the two guys that you're going to throw out there and kill penalties with? I mean, they've just figured that out. And I think there's a chemistry with that team. You know, I think every one of those guys plays with a chip on his shoulder because they were basically cast off by other teams. They were let go. And uh, and they said, you know what, I- I'm going to show you. I can play in this league, and I can play at a high level. All I needed was a chance. And, you know, every sport is filled with guys like that. And uh, I just think that the – I think the Vegas Golden Knights are a team that are just loaded with players like that. You can just go up and down the roster and look at every one of them and say, okay, there's a guy right there who all he needed was a chance. 
You know, he got he got passed on from this team to that team, and finally he's available in the uh, in the expansion draft or you know in a in a, in a cheap trade. And uh, Vegas put him together, and again, I just think the chemistry is special there, and as is the chemistry inside that building. Well, Roy, thank you again for a great first half hour as always, and look forward to next week. And we'll try to give our listeners uh, that much more information from all around the country and the world of sports, starting with you and. Tampa, Florida. Thank you. Have a great week, Roy. Appreciate it as always. Have a great week. Take care. Our next guest is no stranger to uh, the Fighting Network. He's been on with uh, Tommy when he was here, and, of course, all the people that have been on the network ever since Frank and Tommy got started. And, Frank, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you introduce Brett Dietz because you were here for his first show, and it's been a while since he's been on with us, but he's now a head coach out there in the Midwest, so – I'll let you introduce them. Yeah, that'd be fine, John. There's uh, not a finer person to be given a job at, at, uh, at, his, at his young age. Um, I could see why uh, they say that the uh, cream always rises to the top because that's Brett. Uh, Brett was an amazing – he played in uh, Europe uh, in the NFL. He played in the uh, um, Arena League. Uh, did a fantastic job. Uh, there were days that we were down two, two uh, touchdowns uh, with uh, less than a minute to go, and he got both of them. So, uh, well, and when it comes down to coaching, uh, let me say this: he has the Tom Landry approach. He's always calm, cool, and collective. Always, when he wants to talk to someone, takes them aside. And speech there's a lot of classes you don't find in coaches today well with that Brett, let's get Brett Dietz on talk a little bit about his present operation he's <clears throat> head coach now <clears throat> out in, in uh, Purdue and uh, let's talk a little bit Brett how to how'd you get this that you won the conference I believe last year you're in good shape this year again tell us a little about the building process out there for a young club yeah, we're rocking and rolling. Can you guys hear me? Gotcha. Oh, yeah, I hear you well. Good. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm at DePaul University. We're a Division three school. Um, we're about an hour west of uh, Indianapolis. And uh, I've actually – this is my 14th season here. So um, we lost in the Arena Bowl to the Spokane Shock when we were playing in Tampa in 2010. And the very next weekend I was, I was out here at DePaul. So um, – I was an assistant coach out here for about nine years. Um, and then right at the end of the 2019 football season, our head football coach retired. He's a Hall of Fame guy. Um, and then I took over uh, January of 2020. And then, of course, we had a uh, pandemic uh, that put some things on hold. Um, so I've been the head coach ever since uh, January 2020. And, and uh, we've hired a, a great staff here, and we've really got it going since then. So, um We've won the last two conference championships. We didn't have a season in 2020. Um, we won the conference championship in 2021. We won the conference championship last year in 2022. Um, and now we're, we're back if, with, a, with a win this weekend. We seal um, at least a tie for another conference championship. And if we win following our bye week, we'll, we'll win the conference outright again. So um, we've really got this thing going. I think we're maybe 28-5 and five, um, since I've taken over as head coach. So, 
Um, we got a, a good young club that's uh, working hard and bought into our system, and and uh, it's working for us, that's for sure. Roger? Well, I was going to say, I, I remember at one time when you were on, we got confused between DuPaul and DuPaul. Am I correct yeah. about that? Correct. <laughs> and yeah, I think you're D-E-P-A-T. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I the DePaul with an, with an L is in Chicago, and they they have an L at the last of their name, so they lose. And so we have a W at the end of our name because we're winners. So I'm with <laughs> I remember Whoa. that very well, Brett, you know. And yeah. uh, and I, and that was great because the uh, but anyway I congratulations on the successes that you've had and uh, I mean Thank to be you. able to win conference championships I don't care what conference you're in or or what level you're in uh, if you can win a conference championships even two years in a row that's an that's an accomplishment and uh, so everything that Frank has said and about your background and, and uh, all the experience and uh, the uh, challenges that uh, you've had. And uh, I know I was a big arena football fan and uh, went to a lot of games in the Philadelphia soul, let me tell you. And uh, so I know, I know uh, what, what, what uh, you've been through. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we have my offensive coordinator is also an arena football guy. Um, he was a little bit further after me, but he played for the Albany Empire when they won a championship, uh, maybe 2019. Um, and so I've gotten to know him. He's also a Division three guy, um, quarterback in our conference that we play in now and stuff. So those are conference. But we were using we were using our arena football strategy even last week. So we've had a game that came down to the wire, and uh, we had scored a touchdown on offense. The other team got the ball back with a minute 40 left, and you know, me and the coordinator, we're telling our team, like, hey, they're going to score. we got to be able to get a drive and go down. So we're, we're constantly using um, our experience that we, that we gathered playing arena football and, and applying that to our outdoor uh, our outdoor games. So we definitely use that as much as we possibly can. Brett, the last time you were on, we talked a little bit about recruiting. Uh, Division three. Uh, maybe for some of the listeners around the country, uh, you'll explain the process and uh, – how many people you get a chance to look at, and, and uh, what your uh, what your ideas about recruiting players? Yeah, recruiting in Division Three, it's it's uh, it's very hard, but it's also uh, nice at the same time. So in Division Three, the main difference between the levels is the amount of scholarships you get. So in Division One, you know they get 80, 80 plus scholarships, um, where they can't kind of break up the scholarships. You know, it's you know, and you're at Purdue or you're at you know. Florida State, like, if you're on scholarship, you're on a full scholarship. They can't break that up as a half scholarship like they can in other sports. So the difference between Division One and FCS is the number of scholarships you get. The number of difference between FCS and Division Two is the number of scholarships you get. Um, in Division Three, we, it's easy. We don't get any scholarships. So all of our guys come on academic scholarships only, and we have really good academic scholarships. So um, we have guys that everybody's paying a little bit of something to come, but that's no different than if you're playing baseball or volleyball at a Division One school. There's there's very few people that are paying nothing to to play sports at those schools. So it's very similar. Um, you know, our, our guys just pay tuition, room and board, whatever, just like regular students. But they're gonna they've chosen to be part of a Division Three NCAA 
you know, sport. That doesn't mean we're treated like a club sport or anything like that. It just means that, you know, their financial aid isn't different than if they play a sport or they don't play a sport. So I really like that fact that, you know, whether they play football for four years or they only play for three years, nothing changes about their financial aid or anything like that. So, so in D3, we're still looking for guys that want to play football at a high level, but we probably sell a little bit more of um, what our academics and what our alumni networks and, and what they can do for student-athletes. So we've, we have guys in our roster that have turned down Division II scholarships to come play football at our place because we have the major that they want and we have the outcomes, right? Everybody goes to college, right, not to go to the NFL, but to go professional in something else. <clears throat> and so we have guys that go to law school. We have guys that go to pre-med. We have guys that go straight into the workforce and, and make $100,000-plus coming right out of school. So um, th- this is a place they can come and, and still, you know, play football at a very high level, but they know they're going to get internships while they're here. Um, I just took the team last May. We took them to uh, Italy. They so went to Italy for 10 days. Um, so got a chance to do that. And so if, if you want to come have a chance to travel abroad, but also be able to get internships and build your resume while playing college football, Division three, or, you know, I'm a little biased. I think DePaul's a, a great opportunity to come and play football at a high level and still be able to do that. So we're, we're looking for young men that, that want to pursue a high academic um, institution in education, but also want to play championship level football at the same time, and we've been able to prove that over the last couple of years here um, at DePaul. Roger? Brett, uh, a couple of things. Uh, getting back to the Arena League for a minute, uh, Ron Jaworski, who was a big, big uh, supporter and uh, owner of the Philadelphia Soul, along with Dick Vermeil and others, uh, on Sunday night, uh, I guess it was Sunday night, on the NBC Sports Eagles pregame show, he was talking about scores from some games, and he said it reminds me of the Arena League. So he's still out there promoting Arena League football. The other thing is I love your point about the uh, scholarship situation in Division Three, because um, what I found interesting, I mean, it's not Division Three, but it's Ivy League. If you look, and I lived in Georgia for three years and saw a lot of high school games and college games, but what is yep. amazing is the roster at the University of Pennsylvania this year has so many Georgia football players on it, which is just amazing to me. And I, the only reason that I looked at the roster is one of the freshmen I know, because I met him at a, uh, a high school baseball game. And his fathers grew up in the Philadelphia area, went to Bishop Kendrick and Norristown. And uh, so I, I, I was looking to see uh, this man, young man, and he is a pre-med uh, student at Penn as a freshman. So there you go. I mean, uh, it, it just shows you even in the Ivy League, we know what the academic requirements are, but they're even going after players in Georgia. How uh, do you uh, do you go out and recruit across the country or – is it in a, a, spe- a specific area or uh, area of the country? Uh, it, tell us all about that. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, our roster is made up of, I bet you we have players from about 12 different states um, at DePaul. So we will recruit somebody. We have uh, a handful of kids on, um, on our team from Texas. Um, we have a handful of kids from Oklahoma on our team. 
and we're not actively flying down to Texas and going into high school and trying to drum up business, but, you know, everybody has a story, right? Twitter has become this nationwide thing where I can find a kid on Twitter that lives in California. I can follow him. I can watch his film, and I can be messaging him all within 60 seconds, right? And he can reply back yeah. in 60 seconds. So our access, college coaches' access to college or to high school players that are looking to play is better than anybody has ever had it. So um, you're really looking for guys that, that fit you, right? Now, if I get a, a kid from Texas versus a kid from Indianapolis and they're both looking at me, I have a much higher chance to yield a kid from Indianapolis because it's closer to home. Mom and dad can come watch them. He probably knows um, uh, girls and boys that go to DePaul so that he has some personal reference where he can talk to Emory can come visit easier and stuff like that, but nothing really prohibits us from recruiting anybody across the country. So a lot of the guys that we'll get from, we used to have a kid from Massachusetts. We had a kid from California, but the kid from California, his brother went to another school and his roommate had a brother that went to DePaul and that's how they found out about DePaul. So a lot of time there's a family connection. We have alumni all across the country and now all 50 states. So, they refer people or sometimes we get alums kids that come back and, and they want to be a part of, of our program and our history and our tradition. So um, we really have, especially if you're an Ivy League school, the Ivy League, they can pull from all across the country. So they're looking for the brightest students and the best football players, and they're trying to sell their education on that family. And so that's how you get colleges that have, you know, people from all different states. And I'd rather have that, honestly. I'd rather have – kids from a smattering of states across because that's going to make us more diverse and get kids from different backgrounds and and you know over Christmas we'll have guys go down and visit Texas that live in Indianapolis and so um, I think that's really cool when you can get a diverse roster not only in race or religion but also in geographic area socioeconomic status I mean I think that's Frank you and uh, you and Brett have had a long relationship between the storm and what's happened in the Tampa flood over the years and how about you jumping in with a comment or two? Frank? Oh, our, exec- our executive director, are you there? He he could be I on the not. phone uh, getting the yeah. next guest. All right, let's, let's get but, back to Brett then. Brett, uh, you know, it's interesting. I watch, uh, watch these schools now. For instance, James Madison just jumped two years ago from uh, Division One to uh, or Division Two. I mean, to Division One. And they've had tremendous, tremendous success. Uh, how about at your school? Is there any division deciding to stay Division Three, or anticipation of moving to two, or what are the complications if you do so? Yeah, I think uh, really that's a, de- a decision that's way above my pay grade. Um, you really need to have complete buy-in, not only from, like, your athletic director, but also your president. The president's boss is the board of trustees. There needs to be um, motivation and passion to kind of move your school, you know, from one division to the next. And a lot of time it's it's strictly financial, right? you got to have enough money uh, to fund all those scholarships. And so that's a lot of times why a school is a Division three versus a Division two school, based on how much money they want to invest in athletic scholarships. So very little do you see a lot of schools kind of move in division. Sometimes you will, like JMU and – um, I know up in near Cincinnati, Thomas Moore has recently moved divisions and things like that. So, uh, but it's hard to do it with football, to be honest with you, because football there's so many athletes, it's a lot more expensive, right? 
a lot of teams right. will move in basketball because basketball is a lot less scholarship. Yeah. Um, it's a lot easier to get in the NCAA tournament. And if you can get a small school in an NCAA tournament, that works wonders as far as advertising dollars, admissions dollars that you get when you make the NCAA tournament. So a lot more basketball schools will try to make the jump versus football schools. Brett, thank you very, very much for your time. Congratulations on tremendous success over the last couple of years. And hopefully uh, this will be another conference championship year for you as well. These last couple of games very important to you, and we'll have this opportunity to get together with you again. I appreciate it. We're, we're on a quest. If we can get to 10 wins, that'll be the first time in school history that our school's gotten to 10 wins. Um, so we'll hopefully get a win this weekend. And then two weeks we play our big rivalry game, which is a nationally televised game. We play Wabash College. Um, so that's our big rivalry oh, in the Bell game. So, yeah. yeah. So well, best to, of luck, and I hope everything history. goes very smoothly for you. From here on out for the remainder of the season. We'll be watching that game, Brett. Believe me. Good luck. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. Take care. Thanks, Brett. Our pleasure. We go to Mike Schulte next. Mike, of course. Excuse me, a little frog in my throat. Mike Schulte, of course, uh, has been director of the Lions Bowl now since it became a uh, title uh, sponsor for the the, uh, football game coming on New Year's Day in Tampa, Florida. <clears throat> Mike, we've had a chance to chat with you week in and week out. Again, uh, your predictions came true this week, a number of upsets, and uh, a lot of very, very good big-time football. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it has been uh, uh, that kind of year, and, and you, know, it, you know, there's always uh, every week in college football is, uh, is a lot of fun, in part because, uh, you know, you don't quite know what's going to happen, and there's always – Always seems to be uh, upsets uh, from what people expect, and and uh, you know last weekend certainly was no uh, was no different. Uh, I, I know just in the, the games that I uh, picked just for fun uh, each week, uh, you know I, I think I got like five games wrong. So it just you know there was a lot, and I picked mostly favorites last week. So it was uh, there was definitely some some upsets last week, the big ones obviously, and. Um, you know, it's it's hard sometimes. Like we've talked about the fact that there's so much parity now in college football at the, at the major college level. Um, you know that there's only a few teams I think out there that are not. I wouldn't say unbeatable, but ones that you sort of count can count on. You know, winning fairly handily. You know, week in and week out, and, and uh, you know everybody else I think is. Uh, you know, you just got to come ready to play each week because if you don't. Um, you know, you're, you know, someone's going to get you. Roger. Well, Mike, uh, there, there were some upsets and, uh, anyone in particular, uh, that surprised you, I know it's way too soon, uh, for you to be, uh, thinking about too, too far down the road about, uh, your, uh, opponents, uh, for the bowl. Mm-hmm. But, uh, was there any real surprise that uh, you were shocked by? Uh, well, the you know Virginia um, North Carolina North Carolina game was was pretty big, um, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but you know I, I think there were just some that that you know we thought maybe we might go another way. Um, you know the the Iowa Minnesota game uh, wasn't a huge shocker because you knew that was going to be a low scoring game uh, based on the teams that are in there. Uh, it was uh, interesting uh, uh, at the end. 
uh, with that call uh, about the with the, uh, punt return. I'm still confused uh, as to what happened there uh, as far as the officials. But, um, but yeah, there, you know, there's a few games here and there that, uh, you know, thought might go a different way. And, and like I said, there's, there, there's way too much parity out there. And I think, I think this weekend too, I mean, you've, you've got some, some big games this week. Um, you know, not quite as many uh, marquee games this week as there has been in recent weeks, but uh, there are some big ones. And, and of course, you got the Florida-Georgia game uh, coming up, uh, which uh, is going to be really interesting. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, everybody's going to expect Georgia win, to win that game, as they have the last few years. But, um, you know, Florida uh, is sort of on a little bit of a roller coaster, and I guess it sort of depends what what team shows up for Florida, and because they've had some some good games and some not so good games, and you know that they're going to be pumped up big for that game. Both teams every every year uh, always have a bye week before that game, and so typically in that game you see, I would say, some surprising results sometimes. Maybe not in the win win loss column, but as far as you know uh, how teams play. Uh, especially in in years where you would think that the you know one team is pretty decisive over the other, but doesn't always tend tend to go that way in those rivalry games. So that's going to be an interesting one. And I think the Tennessee Kentucky game this week is going to be a really big game for both of the teams, um, and uh, almost a flip of the coin, right? On on uh, who's going to come away with that one. And but it's a very important game for both teams, and uh, so that's going to be I think a, a really fun game to watch. Mike Schultz, our guest, as always, and uh, Mike, uh, a little uh, difference in the modus operandi of how you uh, scout teams to be in your bowl. Uh, used to be you send people out to different games around the country. Now I guess you do most of it, uh, I think you explained last year, most of it off television. Well, yeah, we still send some folks out uh, as ambassadors, so to speak, to the, the different, you know, some of the different games. So we'll start that, uh, I think, next weekend. But... Um, uh, we don't do quite as much in person, uh, but uh, I, I, you know, I, I'd love as much as I love going to uh, some some of the games. Um, it's also fun to be able to, to see uh, so many of the games on TV and to follow uh, what's happening throughout all of college football uh, throughout the, you know Saturdays instead of just focus on one one game. So it's uh, uh, TV has certainly made it a a. Uh, uh, a good way to, you know, keep track of everything. Roger? Yeah, do you uh, watch the games at home and set up, like, uh, four pictures on a screen, or are you in the office with a group? Uh, if Once it gets to the, uh, you know, the selection time uh, where you watch the games from there, how does that work, Mike? Well, uh, we we all just sort of do our own thing. Um, you know, I, I personally typically watch uh, games at home. Uh, it'll depend a little bit. Uh, this weekend, I'm actually going to be going to the the Central Florida uh, West Virginia game, uh, where my my son goes to Central Florida, so I'll be over there uh, going to the game with him, and then I'll uh, and then we'll probably find a, a sports bar somewhere to watch the uh, the other games, but. You know, typically, like this past weekend, I, I like to sort of do it at home personally because I get uh, I can control the remote and I just flip back and forth uh, among probably about three or four games at a time, which drives my wife crazy because uh, she looks you know when she looks up she's, she's trying to figure out what game we're watching, 
but uh, but I but it, it makes it good, because especially you know when you're you know you know when you're trying to follow multiple games and see uh, patterns of what's going on, and and uh, you know as momentum shifts or or you know game gets gets tight, you can sort of focus on that one maybe a little bit more than than others, and and so forth. So it's it's you know mostly just being a college football fan and just following following along, seeing seeing you know the the, the games. Uh, uh, develop uh, throughout the day and in the, the evening. Uh, you, you know, from, from midnight, from mid, noon to midnight, you can pretty much watch as many games as you as you want uh, at any given moment. So it's really easy to do. You talk about parity uh, all the time in that and in football, and that's exactly what's happened in college football over the last few years because of the portal and all the rest of the things going on right now, and. Uh, so as you sit back and look, no matter what team you get, it's going to be a good team. I mean, it's not a matter of uh, well, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. you're going to get. Excuse me, I got a little cold. You're going to be like get the number one team in the country. That's not the point. The point is the two teams that you're going to get are going to be excellent football teams, depending on uh, yeah, just depending on how their schedule works out. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, especially with the conferences that we're associated with, you know, the SEC, Big Ten, and, and potentially, you know, the ACC this year. Uh, but, you know, they, uh, you know, these teams, there's a lot of really good teams in these conferences. I mean, they, you know, those conferences dominate the, the top 25 year in and year out, week in and week out. Um, you know, and of course, there's, you know, other teams you know, around the country that are good, good as well. But, um, you know, the, we, we're always going to have a, a really good matchup in our game and, and have and and we've had some uh, tremendous teams. And the really neat thing about, you know, the teams that come to play in the Raya Quest Bowl um, each year is that they, you know, number one, you know, they, they come ready to play. Uh, they're not they're quality teams, but they're also, they come in really ready to play. They don't look at this as a situation of, oh, well, you know, we're just going to mail it in kind of thing or, you know, just have fun and all that. I mean, they, they do have fun when they're, here in town, at the, you know, going to the events and all the activities we have, but the, but they're focused on game day and they really play to win. Uh, I, I think certainly, you know, with the years, you know, having an SEC and Big Ten matchup, you know, those two conferences, you know, uh, over the years have been the two dominant conferences, you know, uh, generally in, in college football. And so, you know, uh, among other things, the bragging rights that they have uh, to come in and play a team from another conference that, that they don't usually get to play and um and you know get walk away with a win is huge huge incentive and and what i see every year is that these teams come in focused to play the coaches come in you know um you know really really understanding that they need to win that game to carry them into the off season and and so that you know that typically just produces you know a really good game for us each year um sometimes low scoring sometimes high scoring uh, but almost uh, almost you know, every single year, it's it's a close game, and it comes down to the final couple minutes of the game or, or the final possession of the game. And uh, so, you know, from that perspective, you know, we know that uh, whatever teams we get from these conferences are going to uh, do well. They're going to put on a great show for the fans, and uh, we're we're going to be able to see a, a terrific matchup. Roger. Yeah, well, I tell you, the uh, it'll just get more exciting uh, as uh, time uh, passes. I get a kick out of uh, a lot of the students uh, from Georgia, Mike, 
uh, over in Jacksonville for this uh, game against the game against the, uh, uh, the Gators uh, yeah. against Florida. Yeah, and, and the Gators, and uh, <laughs> they're not going to the game. They just go to Jacksonville to party. They could care less about the game. So, you know, they rent beach houses and everything else. So not necessarily so many, good football fans. Like, like, like a spring break in uh, in October, right? That's right. That's exactly right. So, well, I'll tell you what. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, no, I, I've fine. been to the Florida-Georgia game many times, and uh, it is a really unique game. It's one of my favorite games to go to. Uh, they literally split the uh, stadium down the middle from the mid- middle of the w- one end zone to the middle of the other end zone. And everything on one side is, is gators and orange and blue, and everything on the other side of that line is is uh, is red. And, uh, and it, it, it really it, – and, you know, that's very unique. I mean, even in a bowl game – you know, you have a mixture of, of fans from each school, and then you have a mixture of fans from the, you know, the area that the game's in, and so forth. But in the in the Florida Georgia game, I mean, you literally have you know half you know, whatever I don't know how many let's see let's say sixty five thousand you got or seventy thousand fans you got thirty five thousand Gator fans you got thirty five thousand Georgia fans, and no matter what happens, half the stadium is cheering and half the stadium isn't. And so it all—it really is—it's like a home team for both games or both teams, and it's uh, a—it's a, it's a really, really neat uh, experience. And you're right; I mean, they're, they're, of course the demand is so high too. Um, you know, you have a lot of fans that just come in town and uh, are there, you know, throughout the the week just to you know be a part of it. And and speaking of which, I, I know that uh, too, like uh, the RVs and the, and all that start showing up on Monday of the week, you know, of the Saturday beforehand. And so there's people there camping out for five days, six days, basically tailgating uh, for five or six days leading up to game day. So it's it's a big spectacle, uh, and it usually delivers a, a great uh, performance. Well, Mike Schultz, okay, our special guest this segment. For- and, Mike, uh, one thing that uh, I know that the we talked last year about this game that you were referring to, and uh, they did extend the contract. They thought they weren't going to extend the contract possibly to be playing in Jacksonville, but they, they did extend it, I think, a couple of years. Maybe you know better than I in that regard. But the point I wanted to make in your case was that uh, you're one of the rare bulls where a, a, a company within Tampa uh, decided to become the sponsor of your bowl. It's unusual that a, a team right in the town that the bowl was played in decides to take over and take that corporate type of maneuver. Maybe you'd explain why they decided to do it and uh, what the what the product is that they're actually selling. Well, uh, yeah, you, well, you're right. Uh, ReliaQuest is our title sponsor. They're headquartered uh, in, uh, in Tampa. They were started in Tampa about 15 years ago. They're a worldwide uh, cybersecurity firm. Uh, that, uh, that handles cybersecurity for major uh, organizations, associations, companies, corporations, and so forth all around the world. Um, and uh, they, they started the company uh, in Tampa and, and are a big part of, of Tampa. And, and I think uh, I think part of the attractiveness there, and of course, Outback Steakhouse was, was started and, and headquartered in Tampa as well. And we, of course, we were uh, uh, they were our title sponsor for many, many years. 
I, I think the attractiveness of that uh, when you can do that is, you know, the fact that they have such a presence in the in the local market. Uh, it makes sense to to if you're going to be involved in in uh, a major sporting event uh, to do it in you know in for for an event that's in your uh, local market or your headquarters market in this case. So, um, you know, certainly that you know probably played into. Uh, that uh, desire to, to, you know, do the title sponsorship. And, of course, you know, this, this the sponsorship for, for ReliaQuest is providing them a lot of name recognition and awareness for uh, a company that uh, is in an industry. It's not a consumer uh, product type of industry, so it's not something that and the most people on the, uh, probably are aware of what they, what they do and who they are, uh, but they're learning uh, to uh, about the company and what they do and, and of course, uh, you know, and and just the role that cybersecurity plays in today's uh, society—it's uh, it's highly critical and important for everybody. And um, so, I think that awareness is something that they really were hoping to achieve um, through getting into uh, this space and uh, being, in, you know, uh, involved in in uh, the world of college football fans, which are, you know, really the college football is the number two sport in America behind the NFL. Uh, it's it's uh, it's more popular than baseball, basketball, hockey, or, or anything else. And so, um, I, you know, it's, it's certainly um, uh, a, a space that a lot of companies want to be a part of. And and uh, ReliQuest uh, took that leap of, of faith to to jump into the world of college football and uh, do it uh, with a, an event that uh, does an awful lot for the, the community that they're based in. So ReliQuest is the team we have to, or the name we have to remember. ReliQuest uh, taking over the the bowl and doing an outstanding job the last couple of years. We were there, Frank, and all of us have been to the games uh, down there for the last ten or fifteen years. And uh, I'll tell you, it's a it's a great game to go see on New Year's Day. And uh, the other part of my question was, didn't they extend the Jacksonville contract for a year or two years between those two schools? I, yeah, I know they're talking about. It. I haven't really heard an official announcement. I I, I know they were talking about uh, doing that. I, I think you know something to remember is every every time it gets close to the contract coming up, there's always speculation as to whether or not they'll continue to play at a neutral site like that. But I I think it works out. Uh, from what I understand, from a business side and so forth, it, it works out really well for both schools to to continue that uh, that type of a situation as opposed to going, you know, uh, playing on campus, home and home. Um, and, you know, proximity-wise, it, it really is fairly convenient to both schools, uh, you know, main campus schools and so forth. And um, and so uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they had extended it uh, again. I, I do know that the Jacksonville Stadium is, uh, I believe, due for some major renovations uh, uh, in the next few years. I don't know a timetable. But I hadn't heard about that, and so there might actually be a situation, uh, which actually happened many years ago. When the last time that they they did that, um, they uh, they actually uh, did I think play the, the game on campus for a couple of years while the stadium was being refurbished uh, 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 and what have you. So it'll be interesting to see if that. that I think Frank. I think Frank said. I think Frank said Billy is ready to go. So. We'll have to close right. this segment down. No. Uh, once again, Mike, always thank you very, very much. And I hope they do refurbish in Jacksonville. I hope they do extend the contract. It's a, it's a, it's a happening over there every time they have that game. So thank you very much, and best of luck with your bowl game. And we'll keep you, 
We'll keep you talk, talking about it all the Go. time. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And, Take care, uh, Mike. Looking forward to a, a great Relax West Bowl in about two months. Hey, Mike. Right, West Bowl. we got to keep it going. And, and... Okay, dokie. And right now, my good friend in Philadelphia, my uh, no, compadre no, no, no. for so Done. many years. Yeah. Done. It's Simsack. Yeah. Mike Why me? Simsack. It's Mike. Mike Simsack. Mike Billy. Billy, we, we're running uh, too late. I want to see what we do next week. Okay, Mike, you're going to do it two weeks in a row. We do a jump here. We're going to jump over to you, and uh, good news to do that because uh, there's a lot of news on the soccer front right now and a lot of news down in the Baltimore-Washington area. Uh, the Ravens are playing great football, and uh, the soccer's going strong. Uh, MLS is going strong, so start wherever you want to, and let's go. Actually, I want to start with the fact that I'm driving home because uh, after last night, I needed to go to the bar and drink my sorrows away because apparently <laughs> Nick Castellanos can't get a hit. That's right. Over 23 <laughs> with 11 strikeouts. That's pretty good. And, Mike, yeah, I'm, said, I'm, I, I quoted him earlier. He said that – he it he turned off. Something happened to him the first game once when he got to Arizona. Can you believe <laughs> that? He admitted it. I don't know what happened, but I'm gonna need it to unhappen because yeah, this is not good. I'm not happy. I I, I want you all to know. I bought a statue of Joe Boo. I gave him rum. I gave him tobacco, and the bat still did not come. I don't know what else I need to do. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what you can do, and no trouble doing it. Wait till next year. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) The old Brooklyn. That's what the Dodgers used to say for 100 years. Wait till next year. Well, the Phillies fans are going to have the Phillies fans in 2013. Joe They're going to wait till next year. I'm also feeling Pedro. He's saying, Joe Boo, you know come? I do it on my own. <laughs> That's right. What do you got for us yeah, on the soccer front? Well, the MLS playoffs and the new iteration, which I'm going to be real honest, I do not 100% understand. Uh, are coming up. What I do know is that the Philadelphia Union are going to play uh, New England in a best-of-three-game series. Okay. Um, Goal differential and aggregate score do not matter. After 90 minutes, uh, it goes directly to penalties. And it is winner-take-all. I have never seen anything like this. So there are playoff games, winner-take-all, and then the first round of playoffs, which should be like 1-8 through 7, the top eight teams, should be now best of three games. I've never seen this happen. Um, it is going to be really interesting 
how the MLS playoffs in this new format take over the season because it's a lot to look for. It's very complicated, and I'm not sure that a lot of people are going to get what's going on. Well, you don't. Well, Roger, you're right down there in Philadelphia, and uh, you you got to know what's going on. No, I, if Mike doesn't know, I don't know what's going on. But I do know, as we talked about, uh, I think the union uh, will do very well uh, in the playoffs and as they move forward. But, uh, you listen, after last night and what happened to the Philadelphia... Roger, I'm going to be real honest with you. This first series where we're going to go... Home in, in Super Bowl Park, then up to New England, and then back to Super Bowl Park. It's very interesting for me. Like I've never, I've never seen this happen. This is a completely different format for any title that I've seen in the like twenty plus years I've been watching soccer. Well, do you think it's to build fan support that, you know, draw, draw the uh, dollars? I'm, I'm, that's what I'm looking at, right? No, that's exactly what MLS said. They said that they needed to get some extra playoff games in the mm-hmm. initial rounds um, because it would build interest after they signed the mega deal with Apple TV. And so this is what they came up with. And I'm very interested to see how this plays out. We have never seen something happen like this to decide a championship of any what could be considered major soccer leagues. Mike, let me ask you this quickly, yes or no. You think this is a positive move or a negative move? Um, Don, I really don't have an answer. I need to see this okay. play out. My initial is going to be this is a negative move. This is not what we need to be doing. At the end of a very long season, we don't need to be asking players to play series. Home and away, every score I can get that, that's kind of fair. What they're doing right now is trying to turn – soccer into baseball or basketball and I think that's a very negative thing um, we're going to see it play out this year and then next year we're going to have a change in how they do it I just don't think that this is going to be good overall for the MLS I just don't think that you're going to get what they want and they're going to need to rethink how they do this Roger? Well, that's a shame. I mean, you know, because uh, it could turn soccer uh, fans off, uh, possibly, and uh, that would not be good. Uh, They have a a culture. uh, They've got a strong fan base, and uh, I I don't think that's a smart move where they just think, well, we'll go and and do what baseball and uh, football and basketball really uh, and hockey are doing, and I I don't think that that's the right way to go. Roger, I'm going to be honest with you. I think if they try it for a year, 
and it doesn't work, and then they go back and say, we're going to figure it out. No harm, no foul. Um, mm-hmm. Soccer fans are very, very understanding. Um, we're going to understand that you tried something in work, and you're going to try something else. As long as you don't stick with failed idea, we're good. And I think that's not different than most sports fans. We've seen the NFL go to a 17-game season. We don't all like that, mm-hmm. but we're like, all right, but hey, we'll figure it out. Um, we're watching the NBA go to this mid-season tournament, which for the life of me, I don't understand how that's a good idea. But we're willing to watch it and see, all right, if this works, it works. If not, we're going to let you know. Right. So I think that we're, we're, we're willing to give you a little bit of leeway for an idea that may or may not work. Well, how about this, Mike? They made a major move when they went uh, moved their uh, television contract so that, you know, you can't really get it over like Chris says. Roger said whether he was in Washington or Philadelphia or wherever he was, you know, you could get the games on local network or local stations. Uh, now you can't do that. Uh, was that a success or was that a failure? We honestly do not know. There were so many ways to subsidize a NLS season pass, be it through your cable network or your phone network or something like that. There's honestly not a real read on how many people signed up for this and paid for it. I think the big issue is going to be how many people do it next year. And that's what they're looking for. Roger? Well, you know, I'll tell you what. I I liked it when the union were on PHL 17. Okay? I did too, uh, Roger. They had great coverage. They did a terrific job. Uh, you know, it's a great station. And uh, I still have the picture of uh, Don with the two morning uh, anchors at, uh, at, at over at the broadcast pioneers, Don, that, uh, when the two ladies were there. And you're right. in the middle uh, just soaking it all up, my friend, soaking it all up. Those lovelies. But, uh, yeah, seriously, though, uh, it was. And, uh, uh, you know, and I have no idea. I mean, I just uh, was able to get YouTube TV on my TV after six months, thanks to my son and Fire Stick. So I've been watching TV on an iPad. So, uh, But, gentlemen, I'm going to tell you what. If the MLS is right, this will transform how – we consume sports, not because it centralizes the broadcasts, and they choose the film angles, they choose the broadcasters, they choose everything. Everything now comes from the league. Right. If yeah. this yeah. works yeah. for them, I really think this is what the NFL of especially NFL, I think this is the direction that they're going to go to. And where we centralize all the broadcasts, 
out of NFL HQ, and then you, streaming service, pick it up. We will produce all the games. We will produce the pregame show. We will produce the postgame show. Everything is going to come from NFL. I think this would work for the um, major leagues because now you've got everything in the house. And it's two different ends of the spectrum. Major leagues need something like this because the local broadcast contracts for them are really, really struggling. If somebody can pay enough to do this for the NFL, they would love to have complete control over how every NFL game is broadcast. The appearance, the camera angles, the commentary. Just think of how much control NFL would love to have if they could get it. Yeah. Roger? Well, you, you know, you don't know. I mean, uh, they've got, they've got control of it now because they make that announcement at the end of every game. Uh, this is the property of NFL properties, I believe is, is what they say. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, but I, I think imagine if they didn't have to decide between how Fox broadcasts a game, how NBC broadcasts a game, and how CBS broadcasts a game, and the NFL could determine the look and feel of every game. Tell me they don't want to do that. Well, I'm not saying that they don't want to, but I think they also have to look at it economically that they're making a lot of money from these networks that are doing the production of the games, whereas they're going to have to take it over. Their sales force is going to have to be astronomical uh, to to cover it. But that's what MLS uh, did. That's what MLS did. They said, we're going to take everything, we're going to centralize it. I'm just saying, as me... And how I read the tea leaves, I think that if it works for the MLS, Roger Goodell is looking at this and he's saying, if it works for them, I'm totally going in on this. Mm-hmm. Well, let's switch to another topic for a second. Uh, we talked for many, many weeks about the difficulty with Washington and, their, and Baltimore and uh, their television rights and is that all been straight down now? Who's gonna, who's gonna get the money, and what have they decided on that on that legal aspect? Detroit's getting the money, but I literally Detroit. have no idea. They have, they have no idea. Um, they're still figuring that out. It's one of the great things that we're gonna figure out. Um. Well, we're not going to figure it out, but somebody's got to figure it out because they won the suit, right? So they got to come up with an answer. I think they won the suit, but there's still not an answer. As far as I can figure it out, at this point in time, in the suit between the O's and the Nationals over who runs and who owns the television rights, right? the Los Angeles Angels are going to get the money. That's how absurd it's been. Um, it, it, it's one of the great things. Um, I don't know. Um, the Nationals got it. They got some of it. But that was from about 14 years ago. Right. 
they still need to break up um, the Masson deal. And the thing that is really the big one, they need to figure out how to do the streaming. Um, Lerner, Ted Lerner is coming in with Monumental Sports. He wants to buy the Nationals. He has a already existing network of television channels and streaming services to which he wants to add the Nats. But we are not 100% sure because and guys, I have to figure this out. How did you write a deal in 2005 that encompassed streaming, which didn't become a thing until 2015, but somehow still in 2005 gave Masson and the Baltimore Orioles the streaming rights to the Washington Nationals? Like, we are really thinking, like, that contract that established Masson is that ironclad. Roger? Well, so what you're saying is uh, it's still up in the air, the whole situation. And uh, I mean, and who knows? Go yeah, ahead. Uh, we, we thought it had been just cable rights. But the way they wrote that contract is like, all media in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. So well, let's talk about uh, let's let's get to uh, pro football and uh, and and your uh, feelings about the, game the this uh, Commanders. Go ahead. The game this weekend. I'm happy to talk about the Commanders and the Eagles. Okay. Good. Sports talk radio down here. The sports talk radio down here has been everybody is like eighty twenty. The uh, Eagles should crush the Commanders, especially after last week when they only got when the the Commanders only got forty seven yards of offense in the first quarter, uh, first half. Right. Well, that was you. You got to say that was very disappointing that game last week. I thought, I thought Washington was going to play a much, much better game than they did, and uh, even right down to the end. So I would imagine down there, there's a lot of discord about, uh, you know, they went in what three and three, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. you know they showed signs of life for the first time in what years, uh, except for the close of last year, not making the playoffs. I would think people in Washington are totally disappointed with what's happening with the franchise. Not only with the owner, but with the team. Well, the first two weeks, everything looked good. Um, They were close, but they came out of the gates two and nothing. Then they start losing games. They play the Buffalo Bills. That doesn't work out so well. Right. They go up. They play the Eagles to overtime and lose. And at that point, everybody, well, we played the Eagles to overtime. We had a legit shot. Had we gone for the 
two-point conversion after the Jahan Dotson touchdown. We could have gotten it. We could have stolen the win from the Eagles. Come back down to D.C., lose to Chicago. A bad team. Yeah. The one thing we do know is every team that has played the Commanders has increased their season sack total by a factor of two. (laughs) Sam Howell has, through the first seven games, been sacked 40 times. He is on pace to be sacked by far more than David Carr was in his rookie year. Like, they are on pace for 73 sacks over 17-game uh, season. The defense, which we thought was going to lead the team, lead and lead the team is 29th in points and 29th in yards allowed. We thought that Eric Bieniemy would come in and give them points. They're averaging a flat 20 points a game. Are the it's fans not happy that they're bad. It's not that they're good. They just totally stagnated. Mike, is the fandom uh, happy with uh, Eric Bieniemy as a uh, as the offensive coordinator? They're not mad at Eric. They just want to know what is he doing. Like you, you came in, and you you were supposed to bring something that was going to change it and make it into a better offense, and somehow it is not. But Eric the enemy has an out because he can say the offensive line stinks. Mike, I think if they gave their offensive quarterback, young fellow out of North Carolina, who they drafted what fourth or fifth, whatever it was, I mean, I think he showed great. I think he showed great promise, but they don't give any help. They don't give any help. They didn't give him any help, and you have a fifth round draft pick who you think could be the guy, but you and you know you have a really, really bad offensive line. Right. And not in the first round, not in the second round, not in the third round, not in the fourth round. Do not draft an offensive player. The first four draft picks in the last draft were all defensive players. So they didn't give him, they knew that they did not have a solid offensive line. They did nothing. And really in free agency or in the draft to upgrade that. Um, Sam Howell has a tendency to hang on to the ball. His sack rate is obnoxiously high. And you didn't do anything to figure out how to alleviate that, how to get the ball out of his hand quicker, or how to protect him if you know that he's going to do this. Um, this is something that I've said to you all gentlemen before. I think Ron 
the GM has failed Ron the coach on multiple mm-hmm. occasions. This roster in D.C. is it's just very poorly constructed. Well, Ron, yeah, Ron Rivera has nobody to fill but himself then. So that's, so that's the, the bottom line. Is, now the big question is, are they going to trade Chase Young or Monta Sweat before the trade deadline? And I would say let go of one or both of them. If you can get draft assets back for these two players, if you can get anything back that may help you win in the future, for two guys that you have not offered a contract to, take it. And I think it will really tell you a lot if both of them are on the team after the trade deadline. Because so you think they're going to make their major move before the trade deadline because, let's face it, they, they've gone through now a series of, what, five years now where they haven't been able to reconstruct an offensive line to protect the quarterback. Uh, in five years, it's probably been closer to 30. <laughs> I mean, the litany of quarterbacks that – the Redskins, Washington football team, commanders have been through in the last 25, 30 years, I honestly can't remember all of them. Well, just, just look I, at the last five years of quarterbacks they've been through. I can't even remember all the ones they've been through in the last five years. You have to have uh, Robert Griffin III, Kirk Cousins, um I think I'm not 100% sure, but there's Taylor Heineke, there's Colt McCoy, there's um, uh, um, like uh, Carson Wentz. Like, there are just so many quarterbacks. Ryan Fitzgerald. Like, there's uh, so many quarterbacks that they've been through just in the last five years. Right, right. And Roger? Go ahead, Mike. No, go go for it, Roger. Well, the uh, let's talk a little bit about the Ravens. I don't know whether Doug's going to be uh, with us uh, tonight or not, uh, but uh, I know, just found out here. that Doug is. I just found out that Doug moved to a golf course probably about fifteen minutes from me. So guess who I'm going up and playing golf with? There you go. Doug. There you go. Oh, that's um, great. No, the Ravens are the antithesis of the Commanders. What you saw last week from the Ravens is just what a franchise can do. And I really think that they are growing into this offense with Todd Munkin. And Lamar Jackson is just playing at such a high level right now. Right. He's doing everything you could possibly want. Even on the play action passes, how he hides the ball, how he hands off the ball, he's just really and then I think about what if they had 
a legitimate running back, not Gus Edwards. But what if they made the trade for um, Derrick Henry? How much better would they be? Uh, well, they still they, got an opportunity. They, they still got an opportunity before the trading deadline to make a move for a running back. Yeah, I I want to see what they do if they trade for somebody like Derrick Henry. If they maybe reinforce their secondary a little bit, and because this is that year that they've been waiting for, the division is wide open. If they can get through the division, the only thing that they've got to worry about is Kansas City Chiefs. That's right. And even if they don't have home field advantage, the game that they typically play is very, very portable. So they could go out to Kansas City and beat them on their own patch and get to the Super Bowl. It's not every once it's not all the time that you have this possible season. So I wanna see if if management is willing to pull the triggers to make the couple of moves. Get somebody else in the secondary, get a running back like Derrick Henry. I think it's not as though uh, Rod Reed, it's not as though Reed has a team that, uh, I mean, he has struggled with a few games this year already. So it's, it's not quite the team that he's had over the last couple of years. Not to say it's, it's not a good team, not a team that's going to win the West. It probably is. But uh, as you say, uh, if Baltimore builds up a little bit, uh, a couple of uh, particular moves, I would agree with you. I'd say they an excellent chance to go up against you know, read and uh, give them a real good game, if not beat them. Yeah. And again, if they're going to play that game that they like to play with the running first and then the offense, they can go out to Kansas City in January or February and actually win this game. Heaven forbid they get a couple of wins on KC and have to drag them to Baltimore. Well, thank you very much for this segment. Uh, very well explained both the financial uh, TV rights for Baltimore and Washington as well as what's happening in the playoffs in the MLS and also uh, your opinion on what's happening with those playoffs in the MLS. We'll talk a lot more about it next week. Thank you very, very much. Have a great week, Mike. Take care. Thanks, Mike. Okay, Doug Hamilton is with us, our PGA professional, and uh, not much golf going on uh, right now as we talked about last week uh, on the show, but I would like to say at the top, uh, Annika Sorenstein uh, was uh, designated as a member of the Augusta National Golf Course yesterday or day before yesterday. And uh, so uh, congratulations to her. Uh, women are not uh, very popular at Augusta National. There are only a few that are members, and uh, she's a member. So, uh, Doug, congratulations to her. Yeah, could I mean, be a better choice than her. Well, one yeah, of the greatest of all time. Her locker's probably next to Condoleezza's. Um, you know, I mean, that mm-hmm. was a, a, a pretty pretty big deal uh, for a very long time, obviously, to have inclusion, if you will, in, into the society we live in, which, you know, that then prompts people to make certain decisions that, you know, maybe they wouldn't have made otherwise. I mean, I know Augusta was pretty stodgy, pretty, you know, uh, old boys club there for the longest of time and um 
Yeah, you're talking about. The Secretary about of State Condole- was the first one to go in. Well, Condoleezza Rice. I mean, come on. She, you know, we're talking yeah. about a woman. We're talking about a person of color. We're talking, you know, that's that's a pretty big deal in Augusta, you know. So, um, I mean, looking at looking at uh, Annika, I mean, you know, gosh, she's one of the greatest of all time, you know, in terms of LPGA and and um, and what she's meant to the sport for women and and just in general. Um, you know, so that's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's that's the thing about Augusta is some of the people that I've talked to that that either have played there or are members or what have you say that it's not a ridiculous concept to be a member at Augusta, but the only way you can get in is if you're invited. So Correct. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's their deal. I mean, if they pick Doug Hamilton's name out of a hat and said, hey, we want you to be a member at Augusta, then, you know, I mean, that's, that's the way that it works, right? The only problem with that is at the end of the season when the debts come in, uh, they just split it up between all the members. So, yeah, I mean, which wouldn't well, hurt but, you because you got a lot of cash, but right. you wouldn't mind you wouldn't <laughs> mind splitting up the losses there. No, you know what? I still roll I still roll quarters and take them to the bank. So I mean, I, I think you should note that. You're What's not happening you're on the golf front, Doug? What's that? What's happening on the golf front? Um, well, I'll tell you. I mean, look, uh, the next uh, week or so here in the the DMV is is um, you know going to be 60s, 70s, and I think we're going to probably touch 80 by the time we get to uh, you know uh, probably Sunday. So, right. um, yeah, I mean we're I'm interested in continuing this, kicking this can, if you will, down the road as long as I can for nice weather and um, you know trying to get people to to go to the website and book and and uh, and take lessons. I've got. Uh, um, a couple little classes that I, that I put on the docket for one for adults, one for juniors. I've got um, tomorrow and Friday, a couple busy days uh, in terms of weather, I mean, and, and lessons. I think that um, once we get to daylight savings time, I mean, that obviously puts a little bit of a kink in, in the hose for me, um, you know, when it comes to applicable time that I have to, you know, work with yeah, and teach. Um, number of hours of light. Yeah, I mean, but... Um, trying to, to, to work with a local guy here in the Frederick area. Um, uh, there was, um, a husband and wife that bought, um, it was called Champions Billiards. It was an end cap for kind of a, a strip shopping center that had, was a pool hall and uh husband and wife bought it and he's going to put a franchise in there called X golf, um, which is, I think a Chinese franchise that he's going to put 12 different um, simulators and some different things inside there. And, um, you know, I had a couple of different meetings with him, talking to him about the, the ability to teach there during the winter to obviously create a 12 month funnel um, in terms of just, you know, um, going there and, and trying to help him out and, and teach lessons and, and continue the revenue stream. I mean, it's the hardest thing for a commissioned and or teaching professional is what you see is a lot of times in, uh, the mid-Atlantic section, when the season ends, they go to Florida. Well, I don't really have that luxury, uh, so i got to figure out what I can do during the winter here. Gotcha. Roger? Well, Mike said that uh, you and uh, he are playing golf uh, at uh, a new club that uh, you're at. Is that correct? <laughs> well, no, I, I teach at two different um, courses in Montgomery County, and I guess uh, Mike got word somehow that one of the courses is 
relatively local to his house. Uh, he mentioned 15, 20 minutes. So um, we had had, um, my wife and I had dinner with Mike and his wife um, at some point, so maybe like two years ago. We went to a nice little Italian restaurant in, in um, that Gaithersburg, Germantown area. And, um, you know, his wife, I think, had started playing golf and wanted to take some lessons. So I think there's some interest level from both of them. And I know that, heaven forbid, I mean, she's obviously connected from a government standpoint, and, and obviously Mike has his his um, uh, group in, in terms of people. And, and, you know, that's what I was telling Frank when he when he, when he he uh, patched me through was, I'm just trying to, to cast my net as far and as wide as I possibly can to reach as many people. And, and um, you know, it's it's a different scenario when you when you teach for a living because you only get money when you teach. So I have to reach as many people as I can. No question about that. But uh, you, I'll tell you, you have gotten a little bit of a break here because the weather has been absolutely, mm-hmm. other than yeah. the rain, we've had a lot of about your particular area, we along the coast here have had tremendous rain all during the last uh, six weeks. But inland, sure. it's easy, even even that far and even not that far inland, it's been good. Mm-hmm. But the temperature has been very, very good, which is obviously yeah. due to everybody staying north and playing golf. Sure. No, it's it's uh, been a very moderate uh, fall. And luckily for me, most of the rainfall has occurred on Saturdays when I don't teach anyway. Unfortunately, I was probably holding an umbrella watching you know, a flag football game or a fall baseball game at that point. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm interested in seeing temperatures, um, you know, continue to be moderate. Um, I know that once we get to, I think it was Tuesday, I saw the forecast Halloween was a little chilly, probably highs, you know, here right, right around 50. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's kind of a threshold for some people, I think, that, um, well, this weekend is going to be 65, 70 all weekend, and, and oh, uh, yeah. they even said Sunday was going to be 80. Yep, I'm, I'm interested in, in cashing in the, the chits that I have uh, for the lessons that are booked through Sunday, and then, you know, we'll, we'll take a look, you know, kind of week by week in terms of, um, you know, what's available in that sense. But, yeah, I mean, there's some level of trepidation on my part for uh, once the weather gets a little cooler and, and people start maybe packing away their clubs or just kind of recreationally doing it um, as opposed to, you know, once you kind of hit that March-ish, April, gosh, people get really excited about playing golf again and then, you know, it blossoms right. from there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is unfortunate. It's a, it's a building pattern for me to, um, you know, create a, um, a really good stable full of individual lessons and then, classes and clinics and, and camps and all those sorts of things and continually build on that year by year. So um, we're heading in the right direction. It's just, you know, it's a slow it's a slow growth period. Roger? Hey, Doug, do you have any uh, in, in your area there, and you mentioned, uh, I know, I think Mike lives closer to Gaithersburg in that area, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where you have any of these indoor uh, golfs? Uh, courses. By that I mean it's not an 18-hole golf course, okay? But yeah. uh, you know a lot of uh, you know electronics with uh, mm-hmm. you know driving video and everything. Is that place you just mentioned at the uh, end of that strip mall that this fellow's mm-hmm. putting together? Is that what it's going to be, or is it going yeah. to be something different? No, I mean their um, their focus is because there's nothing really like that in this kind of area. So there's going to be 12 different simulators, which means essentially you're hitting golf balls into, you know, a screen and 
I don't know what I don't, I'm not sure which type of launch monitor they use, but essentially what what happens is you can play, you know, if it's available. I don't know. There's there's a gazillion different. I mean, you can play Augusta, you can play, you know, whatever, and, and you you cue right. that up so that you're you're literally standing on a mat, hitting into a screen, looking at the first hole of Augusta. So mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of a cool concept for. I mean, I, I've certainly done it. Um, TrackMan is what I used um, in terms of a launch monitor, and it's it's a really, really good. It, I mean, if you do it right and you have a nice screen, you have, like, kind of HD graphics and you have a nice overhead projector, and, you know, when you do it right, it, it's, it literally feels like you're playing golf on a golf course. You're just standing inside because there's someone around, you know. So mm-hmm. um, I, think, I think this guy's going to do very well. Well, I also Good think concept. it would be a, a, a great facility for teaching also. As you said, uh, you know, if you have uh, some of your clients who are looking for lessons in the, you know, in the winter or, or cooler yeah. temperatures or whatever, to go into one of these simulators and uh, yeah. actually give lessons specifically for golf courses around the country, I would think that would be very positive. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I think I mean, golf has really blossomed since – uh, COVID, you know, pe- people are playing more now than they ever really have, and you're you're interesting, you know, different age groups, and and you know, the winter time is a. I mean, people think, okay, well, you know, whatever, it's cold outside. I put my clubs away, shit on it. I'm not gonna, you know, try this again till April or whatever the weather breaks. So, the winter time is a fabulous time for people to, you know, work on their flexibility, work on their uh, weight training, work on their diet, you know, and then also you can continue that process through the winter in terms of your golf swing. If you can find an indoor area, which, you know, obviously this would be that spot, um, you know, you can, you can still sharpen, you know, your mechanics during that off season time. And I think, um, you know, unfortunately most people don't think of it that way. They put their golf clubs away and say, Hey, you know, I'm done till, you know, whatever. And I'm going to use this time to do something else. Right. So, um, I strongly encourage people that want to continue to play to, to do so during the off-season months. Roger? Well, yeah, the, uh, I, w- I would agree with that. And, uh, uh, you know, because stress be a long time coming or it could be a little shorter. You never know. But uh, I think that these electronic uh, st- uh, you hold, know, hold it right there, Roger. Hold it right there, Roger. We're okay. out of time. The big man yeah. just told me. <laughs> all right. Thanks to all our guests tonight. Thanks for everybody that participated in the show. We'll see you next Wednesday night at the same time, 7 o'clock. And once again, uh, our executive producer says it's time to go. So he'll close it out. Thank you for everybody being on. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week. Grateful appreciation to them when the United States Armed Forces, the Armed Police and Fire Services, the doctors and nurses, as well as the first responders to COVID. And, of course, the people in the, the supermarkets to keep those you know, aisles stocked uh, during our pandemic. Uh, Saturday night's program will be a big one. It'll be at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, we'll have world-renowned world champion uh, Bernard Hopkins, will be our special guest in studio. So if you get a chance, listen in. We'll be looking for you. <laughs>
1999. County dispatch to 1999. County dispatch to 1999. All units be at 1999. That's what we heard. May God rest his soul. 